0: Welcome to another episode of the Artesian Podcast. My name is Vicki Lay, a Partner and Head of Impact Investing. And with me is Guy Newton, Director of our VC as a Service business. On today's show, we'll talk about startup-related corporate innovation, what it is, different approaches and how to measure success. We'll also take a deeper look into some of the challenges and trends that Guy is seeing. So, Guy, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks very much, Vicki. Lovely to be here.
0: You've had a varied career in innovation from leading Google's Southeast Asia and Asia-Pacific business, as well as driving commercial and operational functions on the ground at an Indonesian fintech scale-up. Now, considering you've sat on both sides of the innovation table, why don't you talk to us about the different approaches a corporate can take to startup-related innovation?
1: Yeah, great. Thanks, Vicky. So I guess to start off with, perhaps the more obvious approach to corporate innovation is through internal means, through internal teams, building out ideas around how the business can expand, etc. But I guess for the purpose of this chat, there are four broad ways that a corporation can really formally involve themselves in startup related innovation. And there's a few lingo words in here, I guess, as well. But one of the first kind of areas is perhaps open innovation, which is at times quite a difficult concept to achieve and perhaps isn't talked about quite so much, but it involves a degree of internal innovation as well as heavy exposure to the external market, whether that's kind of core or adjacent to that particular business. And then they use that as a way of driving internal idea generation. There aren't too many examples of this, I guess, because they often fall over as it can be quite hard for those internal teams to drive consistent leadership support to help them with integration ultimately of those particular ideas. Another way is through CVC or Corporate Venture Capital, which in many ways is perhaps the specific allocation of funds to a particular long-term project. And these CVCs often act as the eyes and the ears of the parent company, ultimately helping them to look over multiple horizons deep into the future in terms of what opportunities or perhaps challenges may appear that can threaten or or indeed provide an opportunity for growth for the parent company. And then there's another form where we generally call balance sheet investment, which is the sense that allows for investment in particular opportunities, literally out of the, the cash pool that that particular corporation may have, often allows them to act a bit like a CVC, but doesn't necessarily have the term term approval or allocation of funds for that. And of course, perhaps a final core area that can allow corporations to involve themselves in in startup-related innovation is through a venture capital as a service or VCAS type model, which allows external partners to work with the the corporation on certain VC-related activities.
0: Can you take a deeper dive into that? What do you mean by VCAS?
1: Sure, of course. So I think perhaps to to talk about that a a little bit more, it may be useful to to expand on uh, the artesian business a little bit. And of course, without the artesian breadth and width of experience, it would be really difficult for us to talk a bit more about VCAS. So as you'd be very aware, Vicky, we've had a VC focus for 10 or so years, working across a number of agnostic tech opportunities and investments. But for the last handful of years, we've also had much more of a focus around some core themes of ag and food, climate, health and medical, and also artificial intelligence. And so these 10 or so years of VC exposure really allowed us to become one of Australia's or indeed Australia's most active early stage VC investor to the point where we've got about 550 portfolio companies, over $400 million under management. And it's this work, this experience and this deep suite of skills that allowed us to have the opportunity to work with a large number of wonderful groups, namely government and industry, where we help them with their exposure to venture capital-related activities and ultimately into the startup community. And what we've done over the last perhaps few years is is formalize that under the the banner of uh, VCAS.
0: Great. Thanks for giving that deeper dive explanation. So you sort of talked about formalizing this venture capital as a service. Can you talk more about how you are helping groups with their VC activities and what you mean by that specifically?
1: So naturally, a VC or VC-focused teams are often the best place to undertake various types of activities that are involved in identifying, assessing, or undertaking ultimate investment into a startup or an emerging company. And so what we try to do is is augment the internal capability of those teams and their internal skill sets by doing such things as managing a fund for them. And, and that could be a fund that may have a single or a suite of investors. This can also provide a, a curated pipeline for M&A activity or even indeed co-investment deal flow. And of course, there are a number of different activities such as scouting, innovation mapping, due diligence, investment or exit negotiation, et cetera, that can really be of use there as well for the parent organization or the partner Organisation, And we tend to find that the different groups that are interested in these activities, certainly within an Australian context, are definitely corporations. I mean, that's what we're here today to talk about. Industry bodies, we work quite closely with different industry bodies that have a a real strategic view or even ecosystem development suite of objectives around their work. State and federal government departments are really quite interested in how they can perhaps stimulate ecosystem development across a specific vertical or sub-vertical or indeed a a community of innovators. Universities are quite interested as as well, as naturally, institutional investors, family offices, high net worth individuals, etc., who may have a large suite of talents within investment. However, don't necessarily have a great deal of capabilities allowing them to do specific VC or startup related investments.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. There's quite a wide range of groups now interested in this type of investing and this approach to innovation. We know that last year, CVC-backed deals accounted for the highest ever proportion of all global VC transactions, according to CB Insights. From your vantage point, you know why are corporations increasingly interested in startup related innovation?
1: Closed door innovation, much like what I was talking about before, in the sense that organization is just purely looking towards their internal skills and capabilities towards being able to expand or innovate on their core. That closed door innovation can work very well for some organizations, but often the larger and more complex they are, um, from what we've seen, uh, the harder it can be for them to have an entirely internal approach to innovation. And often these larger companies aren't best equipped perhaps to internally identify the next series of disruptive challenges that they may face. And they do a great job of innovating within their core, but it's that adjacent known or unknown dimension that can often be overlooked. Startups, however, thrive in the unknown. They exist, at least in the beginning, to look at one specific part of an industry and work really, really hard to improve it, or indeed to to help even create new industries. And something that comes to mind is imagine if Blockbuster all those years ago had better understood the opportunity that laid within online subscription-based video consumption. They would be in a very different position than they are today. And I guess the summary of all of this is that investing in or, or at least having a visibility into startup-related innovation can provide fantastic benefits to a large organization such as a more affordable pathway to M&A activity. It gives them arm's length distributed research and development capabilities, access to a nimble and really fast moving technology innovation landscape, Uh, because that's what startups are doing. They're always iterating, they're always moving, they're always evolving and growing, some failing and then rebuilding. And of course, perhaps exposure to a potential new customer base via an emerging company that is doing very good work, perhaps in in building their own uh, revenue strength.
0: Yeah, I think it's quite clear the benefits are quite tangible. So that definitely explains the increasing trends and capital moving into this space. How can corporations measure the success of startup investment activity?
1: It really depends. It can often be hard to generalize in terms of the, the, the success metrics. Naturally speaking, there are a range of perhaps quite soft and more easily identifiable metrics that, that they can use. Talking, Here we're talking about immediate and expected financial returns, or, or there could be an immediate commercial component to a particular investment beyond just equity. There may be some immediate value add or short-term value add to an existing customer base of that large corporation. And also, of course, um, looking inside the business, a lot of value and easily identifiable, metrics can come via measuring the internal efficiency improvements or cost savings that, that can occur. And of course, not all innovation is relevant to revenue generating activities around the products or services of a business. Often, um, greater profitability can come from just improving some of the internal processes and system. Two of the most perhaps important considerations here, broadly speaking, are strategic and financial returns. Strategic returns being seen as the more important, I guess, of the two, certainly for corporations. But rarely do we see CBC decisions obviously excluding some form of financial interest? Financial returns naturally help to appease certain levels of the executive leadership and, of course, allow for a fund or at least a balance sheet investment strategy to be perhaps self-financing of sorts as that particular investment grows through maturity. However, I think it's really important for us to also recognize that profit and revenue generation are key enablers of innovation, despite there often being a really heavy interest towards the strategic returns or strategic value that startup investment can help drive.
0: Great. So, well, you have discussed two of the key considerations around returns, strategic and financial, as you mentioned. Can you also explain to our audience about any recurring challenges that you're seeing amongst corporate VC groups?
1: Of course. And and there are indeed plenty of challenges. I mean, we're talking about startup investment. It's not too many Google searches away to, to really find a few horror stories that may exist around that. But I think what's really important is a consideration, I guess, that Eric Schmidt has helped raise, which is you can systemize innovation even if you can't completely predict it. So a key point, I guess, for us all to consider is being able to build an adequate model that systemizes exposures to startup-related innovation. Strategic returns can sometimes be faster to identify, of course, than financial returns given that a startup may be able to provide quite quick strategic value to a larger organization. But of course, the financial value, namely in the terms of profit, can often be a couple of horizons away. So so really being able to differentiate between strategic returns and financial returns and having objectives clearly identified for both of those. Due to the requirement for, for patience that startup investment often brings, that's perhaps a really important consideration and perhaps a challenge that many organizations need to, to overcome. And due to that patience, that requirement for patience, changes in the leadership and the environment of support that may surround a corporation's involvement in startup investment can be quite damaging. For example, at Artesian, we we often make investments with an exit in mind that may be up to seven or eight years away from the initial investment period. And that's a long time to wait, especially in the corporate world where that period of time could quite possibly see several C-level leaders and key stakeholders exit or move elsewhere within the organisation or come into new roles, each with their own vision. So that can really be a challenge in terms of being able to cement the strategic and financial expectations that come from this investment into not just the kind of core uh, strategy and innovation part of the business, but indeed across uh, as many touch points as possible. Resourcing can be quite hard sometimes, especially that venture capital investment can often be seen as quite a special skill and being able to hire people appropriately and have them at the right levels and then being able to, like I perhaps touched on earlier – integrate those investments appropriately into the business and then investing in startups doesn't come without its perhaps headline risks last thing a a large corporation perhaps wants is to be seen as investing in a company that is perhaps doing things that are against the broader principles and values and ethics that that large corporation may have so there are some considerations around that that often our partners need to involve their perhaps marketing communications teams to help align with some specific expectations around that and then, um, perhaps a final point here that we often see in terms of the conversations that we're having is the, the level of support that may exist between the CVC or the strategy and innovation team's startup investment efforts, as well as other parts of the business. Naturally, yes, it's the, perhaps the CVC team or the corporate innovation team that we may be working with in our VCAS work, but often some of the stakeholders are deeper within the organization. The way we try to mitigate that is that we work really quite hard with our partners at the mandate establishment level. So right at the beginning of of an engagement in helping them to to bring in as many relevant or even indirectly relevant stakeholders into that conversation so they all get a say and all get a, a seat at the table, so to speak in terms of being able to help outline some of the objectives that may exist for that fund or that series of investments. And, and we do that through a series of strategy-setting workshops right at the beginning of that engagement that allows us to mitigate on some of those perhaps integration risks or, or internal collaboration risks that may poke their head up every now and then.
0: I think it's really interesting how you summarise these challenges as systematising innovation and, you know, despite not being able to completely predict it and touching on those difficulties around having patients, the right resourcing, managing the risks, and of course, aligning startup involvement to the goals of the organization. Who do you think is actually doing this well in Australia, but also across the world at the moment?
1: I mean, at a global level, there is a huge number of groups that are doing this really, really quite well, and and they're, they're quite easy to search. But in terms of, I guess, our interactions with different corporations, whether in Australia, Asia-Pacific, or indeed globally, a few come to mind. One of them, and we're, we're very pleased to call them one of our partners, is Coca-Cola, or at least the, the Australian arm of Coca-Cola, formerly called Coca-Cola Amatil, now Coca-Cola Euro-Pacific Partners. And we believe that they do a fantastic job, especially in understanding the value that can come from quite early stage investment. And that's something that we do quite a bit for them in terms of helping them to understand what really small companies or emerging companies are doing in certain parts of the kind of core or adjacent areas of interest to that Coke business. And that's something that has been vastly successful over the last couple of years and and is um, a very pleasing piece of work to, to be involved in. Another interesting example is a group called InvoCare, an Australian stock exchange listed company that that operates in the funeral and memorial space. So perhaps traditionally a company that many people would look at and say, well, what what do they want to get out of startup investment or innovation? And I think you start to look at their leadership, some of their innovation strategies, and then it becomes a little bit more evident as to what they're trying to do and how they're trying to do it. And a, a more recent example that they have around an investment that they made into a digital memories company called Memories, which is a Melbourne, Australia company, is perhaps a really good example in terms of the digital innovation approach they have in terms of being able to provide more value and opportunities for engagement with their customer base. A couple of other examples, perhaps one includes Woolworths and their W23 corporate venture capital. What's really impressed with them is their work around integrating their investments into the wider business. Woolworths have been doing some fantastic work over the last few years, namely around their their technological innovation approach and being able to very quickly, efficiently and seamlessly get their products out to their customers during these uh, COVID lockdown times is perhaps a really good example as to how they've been able to drive a lot of internal efficiency via adoption of technology. And then perhaps another old example, but certainly fits for the context of this conversation is the South Australian government. Now, they're not a corporation. They're not a for-profit entity. It's a state government. And what's really interesting about VC fund called the South Australian Venture Capital Fund is that it has a very kind of unique approach to driving strategic returns, namely in the form of ecosystem development. It's a $50 million fund focused entirely on being able to stimulate local innovation, as well as attracting innovations and teams into South Australia. So very much aligned with South Australia's goal of becoming more of an innovation hub, and there's a whole lot of things that they're doing that is really quite interesting and that I know a lot of other government and ecosystem-focused groups around Australia are looking at with interest. But I think that's a really good example in terms of how a state government can have a startup approach or a startup-focused approach to how they can stimulate innovation.
0: Or even a corporate VC approach, given that they're a completely different um, type of organization. That's right. So why don't we flip to the other side of the equation and look at it from the perspective of a startup. What is the interest that you're seeing from startups when considering investment from corporations?
1: It's a really good question, because of course, for every group or entity or person that wants to make an investment, there needs to be a group or person or entity that wants to receive an investment and so I think it's a really important consideration in terms of being able to understand well what's in it for the startups we've talked a lot about what corporates can get out of this, but what are, what are startups interested in
0: besides cash
1: <laughs> yeah exactly and and if they're a good and successful startup that are doing some really interesting things they're probably not going to have a, a hard time attracting suitors or attracting investors and so that can often be perhaps quite tough for them in terms of being able to filter through who is perhaps the most strategically relevant. And, and on that point, I guess as well, startups equally have to consider their investors from a strategic and financial perspective. Financial consideration is probably an easy checkbox to tick because, you know, are they willing to, to meet their valuation expectations or come close to their valuation expectations? Are they, are they going to be a lead investor, etc.? But I think some of the real strategic components to that decision-making are really important for that startup's own growth journey. And perhaps a, a couple of things that come to mind in terms of those strategic or indeed tactical uh, considerations could include what can that large corporation maybe provide in the form of testing or piloting services, facilities, et cetera, if they're perhaps product development. Is there certain levels of data or or some R&D capabilities within that large corporation that may be of use to the startup? Is there access to mentors, particularly if both the startup and that corporation are are very focused on one particular sub-industry? Is there an opportunity for access to new markets via the large corporations, perhaps multi-geo capabilities? Is there a commercial partnership available in this, meaning that quite quickly upon perhaps an equity investment, that that startup can also have access to new customers that are perhaps embedded into the... With the larger corporation's model. And perhaps a, a couple of other ones included here, pathway for exit, what what does that startup have in mind in terms of their exit journey, whether that's a certainty or, or even a thought process? And can that corporation perhaps be a an option for maybe an acquisition down the track? That's an option. And I think maybe one final really important and sometimes overlooked point here is the cultural alignment that may exist between that particular innovator or that startup and that large corporation. Ultimately, if they're going to be quite closely aligned because one has a partial ownership in the other, then that cultural alignment needs to be really quite strong, not only in terms of perhaps some of the, the outward-facing cultural dimensions like their, their principles around the, the particular part of the industry that they're, they're operating in or some of the values that they may have from an internal perspective around employee standards, et cetera, but ultimately, if that startup is perhaps going to be acquired and embedded deeply into the larger corporation... Can we foresee any perhaps hurdles that may appear from a cultural integration perspective? There's probably some quite easy examples in terms of founders who have put, in many cases, years and years of effort into their baby, into their startup, ultimately being acquired by a large corporation, and and they're being a real misfit in terms of some of those cultural interventions. So I think it was a really good question in in terms of well, what's in this for, for startups beyond cash. And there's a lot of really important considerations I think that they need to make. And and in many cases they make quite well. Certainly in terms of the the engagements that we're involved with.
0: Agreed completely. And on a I guess rounding point, or you know, if we could just zoom out a little bit and look at some of the trends from a macro perspective, talk to us about the future of CVC or what you're seeing currently you know, as a model.
1: Well, you touched on one of the trends, I guess, earlier, when you talked about the, the level of CBC backed deals that occurred in 2020 versus previous years. The statistic is about $73.1 billion US um, was invested by corporations into the broader VC world. And that's the largest that's ever been. And I think that really highlights the, the important and significant and increasing role that corporations are playing in the broader venture capital space, which I think is something that's really exciting. We're probably not necessarily seeing huge growth in terms of Australian activity around corporate level investment, but nonetheless, it's something that is catching on and we're seeing a lot of that from the conversations that we're having. So that's something that's really encouraging. Another trend that we're seeing is that more and more corporations are starting to look at earlier stage companies for investment. M&A mentioned a little bit earlier that the affordability for that is getting quite uh, hard or access to companies or there's fewer companies that are at that level that are appropriate. And then an, a simple way of thinking about that is, well, instead of investing $50 million into one acquisition, that provides the potential to invest $50 million across 50 investments at an earlier stage. So what that allows for is obviously a far more uh, diversified portfolio approach to innovation opportunities, but allows for that corporation to have a greater level of flexibility in terms of who they want to look at deeper now, who they potentially want to integrate deeper into their own business versus not or versus leaving perhaps part of their portfolio for a later horizon of opportunity or, or deeper consideration. Another interesting trend that we've seen, given that we're we're in Australia, of course, and and down the bottom of Asia-Pacific, is that there's a lot of need for global or multinationals to have more of an understanding around global innovations. So let's use, for example, a large US company that has global exposure, and they may have a CBC or at least an innovation team. They've got that in the US. Maybe they've deployed part of that team also to their London office, which gives them exposure to European-level innovations. But then, of course, in, in Asia Pacific, it's hard to necessarily be establish one office in one of the many countries that we've got up here. And of course, whilst Asia Pacific is a is a fantastic geographic region, is it is a collection of numerous individual and independent markets all operating in their own pace, speed, direction, etc. And so, what this large corporation may want to do is partner with an external firm to do what we could perhaps consider to be an innovation outpost, using perhaps some of my former military lingo, to provide them with exposure to that particular market. And so that's something that we even talk about with various different US or European groups in terms of being that perhaps local partner of choice that can provide them with that scouting capability on the ground, given that we've got offices throughout Asia-Pacific.
0: Thank you for summarising a few of the trends that you're seeing in your role as the director of VCAS, can you close us off with something that you are most excited about? You know What's inspiring you in your work at the moment?
1: There is a lot of fantastic work being done by corporations in terms of how they can bring more positive impact to the communities they're involved in and, and into their own value chains. So what we're really talking about here is ESG, it's impact, it's corporate, sustainability. And in many cases across Australia, certainly across a lot of the listed companies, we're seeing a lot of effort being put towards those companies striving towards certain corporate sustainability goals. In many cases, aligned with some of the UN's language around this. But what's really exciting is is some of the conversations that we're starting to have or that we are having within the VCAS context around how we can potentially partner with those corporations and help them in terms of their activities towards meeting or contributing to at least to to those corporate sustainability objectives that they got and i think to be in between that and ultimately the startups and emerging companies and fantastic innovators throughout australia new zealand asia pacific the world that are doing some really really exciting and interesting things that are having a true impact on the environment on the global community being in between and in the middle of those conversations is is really fantastic it's exciting it's inspiring and artesian is is really central to this in so many ways and that's you know that helps helps me get to work
0: Thank you so much, Guy. That's such a great way for us to end this podcast. And you're right. I'm totally feeling excited and inspired by your work. So thank you for all that you do.
1: Thanks so much, Vicky. Thank you for having me here. Had a lovely conversation.
0: Same here.